you found us. I'm so glad you did, but I'm sorry that you had to. Who are we? I'll tell you what we're not. We're not old, we're not boring, and we're not giving up. We're four mothers, all living in Austin, introduced to each other because we all share a similar tragedy. Our husbands died, unexpectedly and in the prime of their lives. So come on into our widow circle where trauma meets humor, and we remind you that you can not only survive, but thrive. This is Every Widow Thing. Hi, welcome to Every Widow Thing. I'm Whitney here with your other hosts, Kira, Holly, and Lacey. And before we get started on today's episode, I just have to go back and do a follow-up on the episode we did regarding signs. If you haven't heard it, you need to stop what you're doing right now and go listen to that episode because it's amazing and we're all getting signs. But one of the things that happened during that episode is that everyone started making fun of my husband's name which was Wendell, and Holly won't date Sorry a Wendell, and they said there are no Wendells. And well, who's heard of the name Wendell? Okay, well, apparently, well now I have. Now we what, have. What I wanted to address, and I want you guys to share, is that so we finished this episode about signs and all the signs and messages that we get from our loved ones, and my husband was ridiculed during that episode for his first name Wendell, and I I agree, it's not the best name, which is why he went by Hunter. But after the show, what happened? Lacey and Holly, you both had encounters with Hunter. You can go first because you sent the first. I got an email from someone from my church inviting me to go to an Easter celebration. And she's just this fabulous lady at our church. I didn't know her husband's name, but I noticed when it came in for the first time, her husband's name was Wendell. So you got like an invitation to something and Wendell was on the invitation, which I cracked up. You immediately sent it to the group and I was like, ha ha, Hunter's telling you there are a lot of cool Wendells out there. And then what happened, Holly? That evening I was watching TV and on the show, one of the characters' name was Wendell. And I was like, (laughs) Wendell? Where did that come from? So, haha, my husband was proving that a lot of cool men's names are Wendell and that it's way more common than you think. But I just loved that. I loved that that happened because we also talked about how their personalities come into play. And that is so my husband's personality to like push that on you guys later. So I loved that. Yeah. So thank you for sharing it. And now on with the next episode of Every Widow Thing. Today, we're going to talk about what grief looks like in our lives right now, because we've been talking a lot about the past, because we're not new widows. We're five years in, six years in, nine years, Kira, mm-hmm. and 11. 11 and a half. And, um, who's counting. Right, exactly. So our lives have changed quite a bit, and the way that grief pops up and how we feel has changed over time. So I just thought it would be interesting, because we're all going through stuff. You never stop going through things. No. Never. I really thought after that happened, stupidly, that I was going to get a get-out-of-jail-free card. Did you guys think that a little bit? I, I still hang on. I still cling to that. I'm still thinking, okay, you know, every time I go in for, like, a medical check or, you know, I'm going to be fine because I already went through everything you could possibly go through. Or my kids are going to be fine because they lost their dad. And you kind of hang on to that, like this hope, like, you know, we paid our dues, smooth sailing from here, right? Yeah. Yeah. I I thought that too. And especially for my kids. And then then (laughs) Gabe lost his best friend. So one of the things that I heard early on that I really liked was that analogy about the ball in the box. And I'm going to mess it up because I think I've, I've read several different versions of it or whatever. But do you guys know what I'm talking about? I do not. I have no idea. It's basically this idea that grief is like a ball in a box. And right when you're first experiencing it, the ball of grief is very, very big. It can barely fit in the box. And so every time that grief hits the side of the box, it's intense pain. So in the beginning of your grief, that ball is very big. You're feeling a lot of intense pain. And as time goes by, the ball gets a little smaller, so it's not always hitting the sides of the box. But if it does hit the side of the box, it's still intense grief. It's just not as often. 
I've never heard that. I like yeah, that. It's good, right? So I clung, I clung to that early on, knowing that, okay, my ball is going to get smaller. It doesn't take away the pain. It just means that as time goes on, I'm not hitting that pain constantly. So I've been experiencing that a lot in my own life. I, I have three great teenagers, wonderful teens. Um, and overall, they're great. But teens have, you know, they make things difficult sometimes. And when you don't have your partner with you, um, it's, it's, it's sad. It's, it's sad. It's hard for me. You know, Hunter was the feet on the ground, very um, realistic and not unemotional, but he could, he could make a decision quickly. I am very emotional and want to look at all the sides and have empathy for everybody. And then it makes it hard for me to, to make a decision or to stick with boundaries or consequences or whatever. And so I find myself really feeling the grief when I'm dealing with something that ordinarily I would be dealing with together with him. And I've been feeling that I've been super sad lately. My daughter is in college, and then my son's about to go to college. And then it makes me think, and Lacey, I know you're going to identify with this. I'm going to be alone soon. I have one more kid that's going to be in college after next year. He's a junior. And then I'm all alone. Well, we'll be alone at the same time. Yeah. And I'll be alone this in the year. fall, yeah, this yeah, year. but those ti- those moments, and and Kara, you have a daughter in college, seventh grade. <laughs> yeah, you have one in college Got too. Some time, yes. But then I get you have a seventh alone. grader. Yeah, but I didn't realize that I would get hit with grief this deeply. Like some days in the last couple of weeks, I I wake up super heavy. I've and been that teary. way. I think we. I mean. Holly, we've yeah, Holly and I have been texting. Well, you always check on me, which is really sweet. You have to. All of you have been checking on me, well, you've which had, is nice. You've, had you've a got lot the of, double whammy uh, with your parents, yeah, yeah, with your mom being ill, and yeah, my your mom going um, off to college. Yeah, my son's double. going off to college. My house will be empty. It'll just be me. And there's some parents out there probably be like, whoopee. I, I don't feel that way. I actually am terrified. I can't stand hearing People say, we're going to be empty nesters. It's so exciting. And I'm like, mm, not that exciting for me. Me either. Because they have a partner and they're planning right. the next fun things and together. It's going to be travel. Yeah. That goes on be, to what not to say to a widow. And it's going to be like reigniting <laughs> with your spouse and, you know, kind of rekindling some yeah, of those right. years. Like Honeymooners when you were again. first married and all those fun things. And when you're widowed, you, again, it's just, it's you're on your own. It's like a more... It's a solo journey. Yeah. I think did. about the uh, the holidays, too. I was thinking, like, he won't be home for Easter. He goes to college. He won't oh, be home for right. Easter. Well, you can go visit him. So, I mean, it's a lot a lot of times to go visit because he's going to be out of state. Do you know where sta- he's going? I do. <gasps> do you but want to hear? Ha- not yet. Oh, okay. Not yet. I will. I, maybe off the record, I will. Okay. Not here. But, um, yeah, so it'll, that won't be— a, such an easy thing to do. So I was thinking, wow, I'm going to be by myself unless I... I've been fortunate. People always invite us to do something for the holidays, but I won't have him too. So I was like, I don't, I don't think I'm going to like this too much, but I got to buckle up. Put my I know we girl have a whole on. other episode about holidays and firsts, but it does feel like there's just always something. There's always some... Holiday or moment, Hallmark, you know, Mother's Day, Father's Day. Father's Day is really hard for me because it's right around when the accident happened. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And birthday, right? Yep, June. And yeah, I just think there's something about the way society has structured all of these events that you just always feel like you're bracing for the next. And and I know for years I've been like, how am I going to prepare for this next event? And how am I going to prepare my kids for this next event now that our family looks like this? And now that I am calling all the shots. Well, and what it's all does my the ball decision. feel? I mean, like, what is the grief? Did, the, the, the first holiday is different. I mean, and depending on how long it's been. I mean, you may still be in. I mean, you were in the hospital for some of your first probably. And maybe some of us were still in shock or dealing with the, you know, the aftermath of that. 
but I I get sad. But do you guys do you guys feel like the holidays now are just as hard as before? I don't think they're just as hard, but they're hard in a different way. Um, well, in the the beginning, I escaped um, by traveling, but now I'm trying to have like new traditions with the boys. I'm still trying to figure it out. Well, what it, your son said something to you recently. Uh, well, um, about Easter. Last weekend was Easter, and on Saturday we were home. We didn't go to see extended family just because Gabe had to go back to college on sun, on Easter and drive three hours. So I was like, "What do y'all want to do? Do you want to go to church and then go to lunch, or do you want to, uh, you know, just throwing out ideas?" And they. Gabe said, what do we normally do? (laughs) And I said, there hadn't been a normal for six years, especially the last three. Yeah. So what do you want to do? It was just an interesting conversation. Right? Like we're still figuring out new normals. Yeah. With the kids getting older and going going off to college and what does that look like for the holiday? And I did think of something kind of, it was sad, but it's kind of funny to me now. Right after Oliver died, I was determined that every one of the traditions was going to remain the same. Oh, I was right. just so I have to do it. So he died in October. It was did Thanksgiving in Mississippi with my family. That was not fun. Um, did y'all do Halloween? Just out of curiosity. Oh yeah, I went as the White Widow. Stop uh-huh. it! I wore a black spider thing as the White Widow. That's oh, wow. That's how I. That's <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that made people very just, uncomfortable. Just, oh, it did. <laughs> in in your face. Park. Hey, keep in mind, I live in Hyde Park That's where true. all the like creative weirdos like right. me live. So we were... Yeah, I think they got that's it. Funny, and they—that's what I love about all of those people that I was hanging with at the time. They—they they thought it was funny. They were like, "That's how you survive." I yeah, knew it you. is funny. Yeah. And then December rolled around. That I was determined I was going to have that Christmas tree, and you know, Oliver used to help me go get it. It's heavy. Mm-hmm. It's big, and I, I like live. I don't want a fake one. So I went and got one, and it was on the roof. And literally, as soon as we walked up to the—I mean, I drove up to the um, house. It fell off the car. <gasps> I couldn't pick it up, and this my neighbor two doors down. It was Jewish, and he always had issues with people saying Merry Christmas to him because he's Jewish, and he would get really upset about it. And he was just a super nice guy, though. But that just kind of irritated. That was a sensitive subject. And he was so kind. He came and picked it up. He goes, "Where do you want me to put this?" And so he took it inside. And then I just I don't know. I had a meltdown after that. I was going to say I would have started bawling. I did start bawling. And he like was so kind. I'll never forget it. He was so kind to me. It actually bonded us in some weird sort of way because we had never he was kind of one of those people that's a little rough around the edges not very warm um but because but of he that showed up he showed up. showed up yes he did so I, I i don't know it kind of makes me laugh but i think you guys like traditions too i think you guys have always decorated and i think we've all yeah tried. But the tired. christmas tree was tricky and um that was I had to get a friend help. I remember, I mean it's a two person job. Yeah. And and you can <laughs> go you can go to the lot and get the guys to help you and throw them some tips and get it on the car, but once you get it home, you're screwed. <laughs> well, <my laughs> well what about off, so this Christmas? What happened this Christmas? I get we used to get a real tree too, and I finally said, I'm not doing this anymore. I still do. And so I just got and it's whatever works for you, but for me. I was like, this is causing some anxiety and hitting my box in a way that I don't want to feel anymore. So we're going to start something new. And I talked it over with the kids. but So we have a fake tree now. But I'm just curious. I have a like, fake tree. And I, I, three or four, the first Christmas I didn't want to put up a tree, but I put up a tiny tree. And then we went to Mexico. <laughs> like a tabletop. <laughs> and then... I don't remember what I did for the next one, but then I think after that, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to buy me a white flock tree and decorate it pink. Oh, (laughs) yeah. It's something totally different. Yeah, pink. Well, where are you feeling? Like, Because I was just saying, for me, I'm feeling really heavy right now in my grief because of issues that I'm having with the kids where I need that second parent and I wish that he were helping me. And, and really I sit sometimes, I, I'm sure you guys do this too, where I'm like, 
man, he would be handling this in such a better way than me. And I'm just fucking it up. I'm just fucking it up. And then I have to like go snap out of it. You're the one that's here. And however you handle it, it, you're doing it out of love and you're going to be fine. But that's where my my ball is getting getting me. It's hitting the sides constantly in that area. Definitely been there a ton, you know, just exhausted making the choices and am I making the right choices? Mm. And like you were saying before, Frank was sort of the the steady, practical, calm one in our marriage. And I was that which allowed me to be a little more, you know, creative and emotional. And um, you know, I've had some issues with my kids too. My son is going off to college. My oldest is um, trying to decide just her summer plans, but also his her path for next year. Just so many decisions being made every single day. And um, and then my youngest is going through a really hard time in middle school. Shocker. Really, uh, you know, the middle school girls, uh, yeah. the seventh little, grade. Little bullies. Yeah, she's been, and now, you know, she's being bullied like online, uh, you know, terrible. there's terrible. texts and TikToks and this is a funny story. I'm actually really proud of her because I'll try to keep it short. She has this long-term friend who's basically just turned on her. She was treating Karis not kindly. Karis stood up for herself finally and said, hey, this isn't, you're not being a good friend. And that just sort of enraged this little girl. I actually was out of town and things escalated to sort of a cyberbullying level while I was out of town. And my son, who's almost 18, sort of called, and he was very upset. I mean, he was ready to just hurt hurt someone. With her. Like, not really, because that's not really his MO. But I love that he's, well, he's protective. He's very yeah, protective. And he said, Thomas. she's coming home and crying. And he's like, and I said, well, you know, you just support her the best you can. This will blow over. This is middle school. Karis is strong. And Thomas says, well, what if I go over and speak <laughs> to the father? <gasps> wow. wow. My That's... heart is bursting. Oh, right I love <laughs> that. I love that I that love it. a good idea. He yeah. wanted to go over and talk to this little girl's <laughs> dad. And I, I mean, I did love that. I thought that was just wonderful, you know. Um, Him trying to step into the the man of the house role. I know. He's very mature. I just say, Thomas, you know, I love that you're wanting to defend your sister, but you've got to and just, you know, support her at home. Um, but it was really, really sweet. I thought that he, and I thought, gosh, you know, wouldn't Frank be proud of this behavior? He's kind of step, stepped into that role. Going back to a time with Aislinn where there was a similar situation, Frank did finally say, I'm going to go meet with the dad and have coffee. And oh, it did wow. not go well, y'all. Isn't it that was funny? He, so he calls up the dad and was like, I'm so over this drama. Let's talk like dad to dad about like what's going on with the girls. Yeah. And the dad ended up being like just as bad oh, as the no. other mom. And I was like, hey, Frank, how did nope. that go? And he was like surprisingly weird. Terrible. <laughs> when you said that when when you were saying at the end there that Tom, you know, you're like, I'm so glad. And I, I think that Frank would be excited and proud. I wonder... Because one of the things that I think we all try to do is find some meaning or positive in this crazy darkness that we've had to experience. And so my question to you is, I wonder, is that was that behavior there because Frank was gone and, and he just has a better awareness of being a, being a bigger know. person? Or it could be. You know, I think that Thomas has, maybe because he's protective of me and his sisters, he has taken on the burden of some of the man of the house type mm -hmm. of stuff. I mean, he took Which care— Which can of, be a burden. He took care of this yeah. dead squirrel in the backyard the other day that I just <laughs> couldn't face. And I call it killing spiders. Like, I'm like, you know, my son has kind of stepped up into some of these kind of skilling, killing spiders moments. Mm -hmm. I've always had to get a dead squirrel out of my icky. yard, too. Yeah, yeah, there's something <laughs> icky. Gosh. I can't deal. Mine leaves it to me to do, so— And he just good handles for you. it. But um, <laughs> it, it all ties into this choice that we made for school— because, you know, he was deciding between going to UT and staying here and going away. And he finally has decided to go away. And I think it is 
the best thing for him. I think, and again, I was laying away at night, night saying, Frank, help me make this decision. Because one is financially more stressful for the family, and he's going to be away. And the other one is right here in Austin. And I was trying to make this decision with Thomas. Could have really used Frank's input. Mm-hmm. And then I went to bed, didn't get any signs or anything, but I woke up the next day and I said, this is what this boy needs. So you had clarity. I did. He needs to go be on his own and be unburdened by some of this responsibility that he's taken on um, in the absence of his father, for sure. It's time for him to go and have a good time. And And not feel the burden of being the man of the house or whatever. That's how I felt about Gabe. It's going to be great for him. Because he did take on the man of the house responsibilities. And not that he went that far away, but he's not in Austin. So yeah, um, I think it was good for him to spread yeah. his wings. It's funny because my son, he's a senior, and I see that as well with his younger brother. Like he'll try to you know, you shouldn't be drinking soda. Soda's terrible for you. Don't you understand what it can do to your body? You need to put more healthy things in your body. And of course, his little brother's just like, whatever, dude. But he- They're only a year apart. They're they're literally 15 months apart. Um, So yeah, there's not a lot of older- It was really sweet though. But he he does do that a lot in in regards to his brother. He'll, He'll even say things like, you know, Mom, I think Campbell is spending way too much time at the skate park. He is aware of those things. And even when he was younger, because his dad died when he was in sixth grade, right? Starting of seventh grade, the beginning of seventh grade. And he started noticing and like would come over and say, you're doing a good job, Mom. Yeah. Or things like that. And I do think that if Hunter were alive, he would not have had that awareness at that age. No, I even asked Ryder that the other day. That's strange that you bring that up because someone asked him, does he miss having a dad? Mm. Or does he, and he said, I don't remember him and I don't know what I don't know. He said, and I like my life. Because he was only six. He was only six and he said, I like my life. And he said, so why would I wish for something that I don't really know, and it, it, it there's a twinge of sadness and a and a a relief. But I was having a me, talking about like Ryder's not good about getting the squirrel out of the yard. That ain't happening. He's he's all too happy to let his mom do Thomas all the over. chores. <laughs> yeah, please, Thomas, you're more helpful. But he is an emotional support, which sometimes I wish he wouldn't be because it makes me feel guilty mm. that he's that he's taking on some sometimes some of my pain. Like my mom has got dementia, my dad is eighty eight and taking care of her, and I'm he's not handling it well. Um, so I'm trying to be an emotional support to him. But I was having a complete and utter meltdown after I escaped and went to New York City. I kind of pulled a, a an old oldie but goodie of yeah, I got to get out of here. I don't I don't care where I go. I'm just going to go somewhere. So went there and came back and then just had an utter meltdown. I was like, I can't listen to this over here. I can't deal with my kid going to college. I'm going to be an empty nester. And I just was sobbing uncontrollably. Mm. And I tend to get, uh, which I think you really know, Holly, that I tend to go into my, like, hole. I don't go out and start asking for help. I usually go into my uh, my cave and just stay there until I can come out and deal. Mm. But he came, he heard me and came down there and and just listened and and was, but it, it made me feel strange. I don't know if you guys feel that way. He's 18, but it still made me feel strange. I don't like him well, you too. you feel like you're not the, then you're the one that should be comforting and he shouldn't yeah. be comforting you. But I disagree because at some point we're modeling for them and um. and if you're keeping things in all the time. You know, he needs to see that it's okay to have those feelings, but also he needs to know how to handle a situation like that and comfort someone. He has know? for a long time. I mean, he, so I, think I, I do think you're you raising have to, an amazing young man. I mean, I, you really are. I think he's a kind person, but he tends to take on the the emotions of the room. And I remember because I used, to, I still am that way, but I really was when I was younger. And it's in some ways you have to deflect. You have to have a certain amount of boundaries so that you're not weighted down, you know. But the grief therapist early on told me, she said, 
because he was only six and now he's 18, I have to remember he is 18 now. She said, it's okay for him to see you grieve, maybe not the deep grief, but he'll see you move through it and out of it and in and out of it. And it gives him permission right. to grieve. But at this age... But I, he's 18. He could go off to war. I mean, like, you know... <laughs> I, God, think, I hope not. Listen, I know. <laughs> Lord college, help us all please. if our 18-year-old is there. Exactly. She's but I'm stressed <laughs> enough. I know. <laughs> but it's I'm just, just a freshman dorm. Don't worry. I'm just, it's not it's my point is that we look at them. I'm, I'm dealing with it with my daughter who's 20. And this is where my husband would step in and be like, you know, you need to calm down and back off. But I'm still in mother mode. That's That's a hard thing, right? Like, the way I am as a mother is very different than the way Hunter is or was as a father. And now I try to do both. And what I've realized is that I can never be both. I And I tried to fake it for a while and be like Hunter. And it just— Get the budget out. Oh, man. I still try to oh, do that. Oh, that still makes Oh, mad. man. You guys don't even know. <laughs> I'm working know. on my budget. I'm always working on the budget. I don't adhere to it, but I am trying to work on it. But like with parenting the kids for a long time— after Hunter died, I was trying to be both. I was trying to handle things like Hunter would handle them, but then also come back in as myself. And that's why I wasn't consistent because I'm not Hunter and I can't do it the way that he does it. It's not, it's not comfortable for me, you know? So I have to give myself permission to handle the situations as I normally would. That's all you can do. I think your kids can see through that too. I mean, well, I, I'm I sometimes in the heat of the moment will be like, your father would want this or your father would say this, which is probably a terrible thing to say to kids that have lost their father. But, you know, in moments of desperation, I've kind of played that card. Yeah. Right. And they're just, I mean, the look on their face, like, well, he ain't uh, here. Yeah. So <laughs> what you going to do about it, mom? Yeah. I mean, they, they're they smart. They know. Do you what? remember the, the um, song, um, Are You Man Enough to Be My Man? Yeah. Is I always say, am I, am I man enough to raise a man? Oh. I always sing that in my head all the time And because we're all raising men. I mean, some of you are raising girls, too. But we're it's raising different. men. Hallelujah. Oh, those girls are raising we're themselves. Raising Let's men. be honest. <laughs> That's a song that comes uh, to my mind. Just a bystander. Who sang that song? Now I got to look it up. Are you? Well, Sheryl Crow man did the, Oh, right. Are I you said man George enough Michael. to be my man? I no. was totally wrong. Oh, that's right. It was. I Cheryl think it's Crow. so hard. I think you're always second guessing. I think I'm an overthinker like no, you are. Yeah, and so every decision, it's like, I want to see all sides. I mm. want to explore everyone's feelings and the consequences. One thing I've done since losing my husband is like, I'm always trying to look down the road because I'm worried because mm -hmm. I've had something blindside me. And so I'm like, okay, if this happens, then this happens and this happens, you know, what are the consequences? And I can get really like caught up. Oh, it'll drive in you worrying about the what ifs. And it is, it's so, it's so challenging. And I think. I what think, helps you? Um, that all that therapy we did, EMDR therapy helps. What, tell me about that. To I, friends. I don't I mean, know EMDR. Well, what the we, I did EMDR, but we also went to the the man that you recommended. That, yeah, the colors, Doctor Basket. What was that? Well, that was more trauma for me. I worked on re. I was reliving moments from the accident and just trauma from what happened. And I would get caught in sort of a loop where your body. I guess it's PTSD mm -hmm. where your body mm -hmm. kind sure. of relives. You guys have had it, too, in the moments where you either, you know, watched your husband die or you found out your husband had died or moments in the hospital for Holly with your son being injured. And that was more like a dis dissociative exercise where you have to stare at this rainbow chart. I mean, it sounds silly talking about it. I tell you what, it worked, though. And it, then, I thought it was crazy. You sent me to some crazy person. I know. And it was so awesome. What is he? what did he make you do? And how can I, what This is what a whole other I episode. I, this is the inter most interesting thing for me. He would have me look at this ra rainbow chart, and all the colors are very distinct, right? All the colors, and I'm sitting in a chair, and he's kind of off to the side, and he would say, talk about what happened and or a moment and I would start to talk about like when I was trapped in the car or when I found out Frank was dead and the whole rainbow would just go brown Ooh. like all the colors would disappear and he would say the minute you lose a color 
you have to stop and look away. And then he was always wearing like a plaid shirt. And he'd be like, <laughs> look away and look at my plaid shirt. I mean, it was a little weird. I felt like I was in a movie. I was like, but it's like resetting your brain. Resetting. So I, I, when I first went to him, I had to do that every three seconds. Like I would start to talk about. And my vision wow. would just go gray, like gray brown. And I'd see like, I'd be like, I lost the colors. And then I'd look at his plaid shirt. Like, or I'd look around. <laughs> I'd look around the room and just reset my vision, and then I would go back. So, how long did you do it? Like, I don't remember how many sessions. I only had one. I went to. Um, it was several sessions over several weeks, mm. and I probably could benefit from going back um, because I do find I'm now more aware now when I think about traumatic events, even not even the accident, like something you know. Like even this stuff that was going on with my daughter, right? Mm -hmm. I was traumatized by what was happening to her, the bullying and right. not being not being able to, that helplessness, mm -hmm. not being able to do anything, not being able to fix it. And your whole nervous system, at least my whole nervous system, kind of goes bananas. Like I, I just go into fight or flight. Right. So, you know, I think this kind of technique, yeah, it just, it divides your brain. So you're trying to look at the color green and you're talking about something horrible that happened. And somehow it miraculously makes it less traumatic. Do you know what he did? What he said has stayed with me. And it's weird because I went in there going, oh, Lord, what has she put me up to today? <laughs> okay, I had done EMDR and I thought, okay, it's good. EMDR did work for me. I did and, but tell me briefly because I don't really know what that is. And how is that different from the EMDR? E is where this they is use EDT. these little uh, pads that you put in your hands and then they move, you know, it's eye movement. Okay. A lot, and they do it a lot for people. I, obviously, I had I was diagnosed by a psychiatrist with PTSD. Unfortunately, I could not take. Um, antidepressants or anything. I'm allergic to them. So mm -hmm. I knew it was going to be exercise therapy and then EMDR. And then I was doing pretty well by this time. And then Kira's like, go see this guy. And I thought, out of curiosity, I might as well. I'm glad I did because if even though I'm not sure that the therapy part worked, I just remember what he said last. So he's going over and over. The, he, he makes you stare at it. And he made me say over and over this what happened that day. And I was, he said, I could tell you're getting really irritated. I said, I hate to repeat myself. And he's like, stay with me. And I had to keep repeating it. And he said, can you do it again? And by the fifth time, I was about ready to scream. And he was like, no, just stay with me. And then yeah, at the very easy. end, yeah, I mean, five times, I was like, please, can I get out of here? And then at the very end, he said, what are you most afraid of? He, and that took me off guard. And I said that I won't see it coming. Because mm -hmm. in sudden death, you don't see it coming. And then he said, what if, just what if, something amazing is around the corner and you don't see it coming? Mm. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah. Goosebumps. I I'm love, still waiting for that. By I was about to say, <laughs> me too. <laughs> it's been how we're, many years? We're a wonderful thing that was around the corner. Uh, that's uh, yeah. right. That's, I, that's that that's whole true. waiting for the other shoe to drop or whatever you want to call it. Her. You just now live in this. Once something like this happens— you, I think you just, you're forever changed. And one of the really sad things is that my my daughter, who um, my oldest, who was 11 at the time and is now almost, tw she's turning 20 in a couple weeks. She said to me, uh, that was the day my childhood ended. Oh, and hard. I don't We're look hard. at, you know, that innocence mm -hmm. of childhood. And I don't look at the life like that anymore where I think nothing the joy of the simple joy of thinking everything's going to be okay and nothing bad is going to happen. So I agree with the, I also struggle with after Hunter died, I actually had more things happening. I remember thinking this is fucking bullshit. My husband just died. And now I have another traumatic event that's happening it's to me bullshit. and my kids. Right. So I knew early on that just because you have a traumatic event doesn't mean that more traumatic events aren't going to come. So what are some of the things that you're doing now so that that grief, when it does come up, for example, the whole thing about being an empty nester, right? That is stressing me out, making me very sad lately. Yes. Um, very sad, even though I have another year before it actually happens. But I already started thinking, okay, I got to rework this idea of now I'm going to be alone and instead think, now I can go and learn how to 
um, be a trapeze artist or like I can. <laughs> that didn't actually learn. My mind, <laughs> learn. That's well, not on I, my list either. I but. used to do trapeze stuff in LA. It was super <laughs> fun. Did, not doing it. Of course, you we did. should do it. It's fun. But I mean, like that was what I, I was, was like. We were something to look forward dancing. to. Oh, pole dancing is fun. It is too. so fun. It's great. So, we were going to do that. So that's something. Instead yeah. of dreading the future looking forward to something so in the same sense of you don't something amazing could be around the corner and have realizing oh i'm in this mode of fear i need to switch it to faith i'm gonna i'm dreading something so let me do the opposite and find something to look forward to so that's like a technique for me in my new grief right what else you you're learning to reset your brain you don't have to go look at the rainbow in the plaid shirt how do you reset your brain um, well, one thing a lot of people said to me is, you know, I don't know how you can get in a car. I don't know how you can get on a plane. I don't know how you can, you know, I just recently went skiing. And there were moments on the mountain where I was like, what the hell am I doing on this mountain? It was poor visibility. I could have hurt myself. But I think you just have to like, kind of push through the fear and get out and do it and just continue to live life. I mean, that's really been my my only tactic really is just push through. Doesn't that make you sad? Like I like, you know, I used to I've surfed for a million years and then I also snow ski, but not great at snow ski. Ryder would say I actually don't, but he's the blacks, I'm in the blues. But the amount of terror that I feel now doing both of those things mm-hmm. makes me incredibly sad. Because I was always the kind that would do anything once and twice if I liked it. Because I was always sporty and I, d- I wasn't afraid to do anything. And then after that happened, it was if I went into, I'm going to stay in a little bubble. I'm not going to get hurt. I'm not going to do anything risky. And I was not enjoying my life. Mm-hmm. And I'd even get it on the mountain and just, I mean, this, we had a ski instructor. We've had him every year in, in Deer Valley. Been going there since my 20s. And he said, I don't know what's going on with you, but it's in your head. It's not that you can't do it. But he doesn't understand because he hasn't had anything traumatic like that happen to him. So he couldn't get it. So I Even went, if you were with Ryder, you didn't want to do it? I did it. Oh, I did it. But the whole time I was— Oh, you were terrified. I was terrified. And by the end of it, I was so drained emotionally and physically that I thought, this is not fun for me anymore. So I finally— you want to know what my secret was? Yes. I started going and having a drink. <laughs> for, I'm sorry if that's not really good. Look out, Gwyneth Paltrow on the uh, mountain. Uh, right. Oh, it's serious. Coming up behind. And I'm not even a huge drinker, as you guys would all address right. to. But boy, but it would take the edge off. self-medication to quieting the brain. It did. Right. And getting rid of some of the fear. I have an interesting story. Last summer when we went to Jackson Hole... I was going to be the cool mom. And <laughs> you I are like, the cool mom. Hey, cool let's mom. paraglide off the mountain. And, uh. <laughs> like, that's something I would never do. But I'm like, if both boys want to do it, I'll do it. I don't know what I was thinking. And so what happened? Um, Did you do it? No, because Gabe was all in. And Zach was like, I'm like, you didn't respond to the, t- the. we had like a family text about what we were going to, activities we were going to do. And I go, you didn't respond. And he's like, mom, no way I'm going to do that. And you could die doing that. I'm like, okay, we're not doing that. And it's interesting because he was in the accident. I wonder if that's how he, he thinks. He was like Mr. Adventure. Like last time we went skiing, which was before the accident, I mean, he was like down the mountain on all blacks, and well, they're the ones that do all the stunts, the flips, and yeah, all of that stuff. Yeah. yeah, is he not like that anymore? Well, they kind of grew out of that. I mean, they, but I mean, it's adventurous. Not adventurous. He, is he not like that now, or no, not really? I mean, I guess it depends. I mean, he didn't want to paraglide off the mountain. Well, maybe he's got. Maybe that was too. Toby giving him a sign. <laughs> Tell your mom not to do that because she's nuts. One other thing that I did want to address about grief now versus back then, and Holly, you and I were talking about it last night, and and I think Lacey was just saying she's not one to ask for help. And in the in the early stages of grief, you're on everyone's mind. 
Like people are thinking about you and why are you laughing? <laughs> why are you laughing? I just thought of something that I did to avoid people. <laughs> just, what? Oh. What did you do? No, keep going. Keep no, going. you and now we have to know. No, I. You guys have seen my house. I had those. I had those windows. Oh, run right. When you rolled off the couch. Yes, oh my gosh! <laughs> Tell that story. Well, people drop off meals. I mean, they did it for all of us. I'm sure. Yeah, it was so. Very and it, it is so nice. They were bringing meals for me and for Ryder and dropping it off outside. Well, there's. I. You can see into my house. And so people would do that, and then they would knock on the door and just be, like, waving in. And I was like, oh, my God. So That's the bad part. Yeah, drop the meal off. They don't just don't leave stop the meal by. That's the, the point on the porch. Right. That's the point, right? Right. So I had Marilee McGeehee. She used to be on Friday Night Lights. Yeah, 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 yeah. She did your kitchen, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, she, um, she did— she got curtains for me, and then we in the front we kind of did them like how a hotel is. They kind of pull them. Because did you tell her like? Yeah. Oh, she knew exactly. She so gets it. Like, mm-hmm. and she came and fixed me up because there was one person in particular. I will not say names because she's not a bad person, but she would come every time and be beating list. on my door and and wanting to stay forever. And I'm like, at least just give me a heads up, right? She so I would read the keep, room. I literally kept those shut and. You could kind of see through them, sort of, that somebody's moving, and I rolled off the couch and crawled out. (laughs) (laughs) So that they wouldn't know you were home. And I think that's self-preservation. You have to do that stuff. But we weren't needing necessarily to ask for help. No. I mean, well, I did ask for help in the very, like, one of my best friends who her son was, at the time, Zach's best friend. And... I would always ask her for help, but that was really early on. But I guess now we really have to ask for help because oh, I don't no have anybody thinking about us anymore. <laughs> I don't have anybody I can really go to, to be honest. I mean, there's well, I mean, you do because well, we we're ha- all sitting. Well, in this we, room. but you know what I mean. <laughs> but I, yes, I feel like you guys all have. I feel like we emotionally take care of each other, and yes, in certain instances, like we'll help each other if like there's no electricity or. But I'm talking about like a go-to person. Right. Well, you did something great that I hadn't even thought of when Holly was talking about sitting in the stands watching her son play baseball. And you're like, I'll come and sit with you. That is a time when you're feeling, especially you're at a new school, Holly. Yeah, he's, that's that's been hard because he transferred as a junior in high school. And so I, I didn't realize how much it would affect me and my community. I was at a game a couple weeks ago, and I was just like, I don't fit in. Mm. I'm just doing this alone. And I went and sat in my car and cried because Zach wasn't playing in the game at that time. So, Yeah, and I and Lacey's the one that was like, I'll come in and hang out at a game. And I was thinking, oh, my gosh, that's such a great way to, to help. In a, and you didn't even ask for it. But my point, I guess, is in later years as a widow still dealing with grief we do have to let people know hey i need a little help here versus in the beginning where we're on everyone's mind and they're stopping by and you're having to roll off the couch (laughs) (laughs) because you're like i can't talk to one more person so in the later years now i recognize i will isolate when i'm down and not reach out to anyone which it might be good for a moment or two, but then you just feel even more alone. So having the the awareness to go, I need some help and I have to go ask for it because everyone's living their life. No, Part of and it they too, think we're over it. Um, it's been five years. You don't have, you know, I'm sure you're fine. Yeah. And we yeah. say we're fine. Also, my thing is in asking for help, I typically would say relate it more to my kids. Like, and asking him for help. I mean, now he's old enough, and I'm now leaving him home alone if I have to. But before, it, I had plenty of people who would help, but I was so protective of him and wanted him to stay. Like, if I needed, you know, if I wanted to go out of town, like, it would have to be somebody he would want to be with because I would feel guilty leaving town. Yeah. Yes, and, I, I you know, like, he could have stayed with any of y'all, but he wouldn't have wanted to. I mean— 
What? <laughs> I am offended. No, I get it. He's you know not, what I mean? He's not like, close with those with the, yeah. with my boys, and and you can't force <gasps> friendships. What about the? You know, we all heard about the stages of grief, right? And then. And then you realize they're not linear. It's not like first you feel this, then you feel this, and then you go through and it's all over. Well, by the way, no, that's yeah. a roller coaster. Kubler Ross, mm-hmm. that's for a person who's actually dying, not the person who's left. People always mistake that. Oh, so I, I think always it, find I that's, think it's both though. I mean, you've the you know, the stages are denial. I in the sense of like, I can't believe this is happening. I just cannot believe this is happening to me. I can't believe he's not here. Or like Maybe he is here. Hunter, uh, you said this, Kira, that you still, for a very long time, would kind of convince yourself that maybe Frank was still alive somewhere. I, I think because of some of the tr- physical trauma, mm-hmm. my brain was just not equipped to Hunter's accept. mom had no physical trauma, and she would always, for the longest time, she was like, maybe he's in the witness protection program. But your brain does certain things, right? But denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance— that's us as the widows. I feel like those are all feelings that I feel sometimes daily. I'm just talking about her in particular oh, her when book. she wrote yeah, that. Yeah, that yeah. was about the person who's dead when they're dying. This is what um, they go through. But yeah, it's a, it's very similar to what we experience. And it doesn't go yeah. away even. Definitely I mean, nonlinear. And it's definitely, I had one um, ch- therapist who was really talking about the kids, but she was saying at every developmental phase— my kids would experience the loss mm. every yeah. every developmental phase. And I almost have decided that that's attributed that can be attributed to us too, because there's developmental phases we're still going through, turning fifty, <laughs> uh, kids growing up and leaving the house. You know, maybe you date someone for a little while, maybe you break up, maybe you date someone else. There's, you know, life is always in flux. And I think it's it's almost like that for me. It's sort of this ebb and flow. You know, whenever there's big life changes, like I think for all of us who have a graduating senior, this is a big moment. I mean, this this kind of life transition of your kid graduating, going off to college, the grief creeps in and when there are all the stages, big life moments. Yeah. And for the kids, it was, you know, more because they were still growing and then developmental. But for me, it's the same. You know, my life is still kind of it's clearly a journey. It's not the way I thought it was going to go. Back when I married Frank, and I thought it was just going to be riding off in the sunset. So, um, and it's hard to see like, like I wasn't on social media for six years on purpose because I, it's hard to watch intact families. Do you guys find that to be hard? Like Easter's and yeah, no, I'm so sick of the everything's happy. On well, Facebook. that's the thing. You I know, mean, the social media on. Is, to be as miserable why? as I am, no, right? But you know, a lot of real people, stuff. It's their best self, like, and and sometimes I would see people on social media that I know are sleeping in separate rooms, and it's their anniversary, and they're like, "This is the love of my life." La, 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 la. So you're like, "Okay, lady, come on, yeah, let's exactly. just get real." I can't stand when people couples communicate. On social media, I know that <laughs> is so, that is a little weird. A little weird. Hashtag Do you think blessed. you would feel like that if you still had your husband? No, I would not. Well, Oliver didn't want me to get on Facebook. He said it's going to be the biggest security breach of all time, and that was oh. he died in two thousand eleven. Wow, he so he it. hated that I was on it. I had just gotten off actually before he died because I was kind of over it, and then when he died, I was like, I definitely don't want to be on it. Yeah, because I don't want to see everything being perfect and mine looks like shit. <laughs> yeah. I do think, Kira, your point is a really good way to close out. Grief's never going to go away. And part of it is with each milestone that we are approaching, whether it be kids out of school or, a, you know, at some point a wedding or a baby, all of those things, any changes really, right? Because as things start to change, it's just more and more obvious. You know, they're not there, but it's more and more obvious that they're not here, that that, that our life is changing and looking different. It was comforting when everything was exactly as it was when he died. But as time goes on, you're going to hit those milestones and you are going to go through all of the stages again. But hopefully more rapidly. Planning, like I'm planning summer vacation and you know, even talking to the travel agent. I'm like, it's just me and my boys. Just, you know, it yeah. brings it all up. It does. Yeah. I and don't you, know. And people assume you're divorced, which I I don't mm. know if you guys. I don't like that. And this just recently happened. I I host a kid from China through our boarding 
uh, at the school. I've had him for five years. He is a wonderful kid. And unfortunately, his dad died during COVID. And I sent the mother a note somehow between us and an email to China. I didn't quite make it the way that the I translation. Yeah. No, I think there's some sort of firewall or yeah. whatever. But the aunt lives Edited. in Dallas and she said, Well, what did you send her? And so I sent it to her and she said, Oh my God. I've known you all these years, and I just assumed you were divorced. Mm-hmm. It had oh, never wow. come. That's it had why never my widow Tourette's is so great because I just tell yeah. everyone I know that my husband's dead. I don't know if I'll ever stop checking that widow box. Well, I should have because it was yeah. it, it was weird, but it also helped, you know, kind of open the dialogue because the mother I think felt better knowing that her son is really good friends with someone who lost his dad. Mm. So there's like a, uh, and I took him out for his 19th birthday Saturday night, and I was just like, ugh, I'm losing two. You know, he's not my Aww. kid, but he kind of is. For yeah. five years he has been, and I was yeah. like thinking I'm losing both of them at the same so time. So let's enroll in trapeze school. Let's do it. Or strippers or oh, whatever. Come on. <laughs> pole dancing. Sorry, pole dancing. I love pole dancing. It's so hard. Stripper class. You hard can to be pole a stripper. dance without stripping. Wait, you can? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we hope that we have lifted you up in some way and maybe you took something from today that you can use for yourself, whether it be resetting your brain when you overthink or just being aware that this grief thing, that ball does get a little smaller but the pain can be just as intense. And also, shit's still going to happen, unfortunately. <laughs> but at least you got to find your people, and that helps it make it a little bit better, yeah. a little bit lighter. And self-care. Get those drapes That's over right. your front door if you don't want people around. Well, now you don't can get leave, the cooler. Leave, it right leave it in the cooler. That's right. Leave it in the cooler. Like, who's out the door? Oh, no. Get on the floor. <laughs> Hit the decks. Um, Remember that we do have, even though we were dissing on social media, we have an Instagram that you can go and follow us and, you know, follow how we're handling our grief, what's going on in our life right now as widows and as mothers, and hopefully get some, some more tips and inspiration there, every widow thing. And thanks for coming along with us on this crazy grief journey. Bye. 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 Bye.